Hello everyone and welcome to Off The Block Swimming Podcast Season Number 4. Thank you all very much for downloading our show today wherever you are right now in this crazy world. I am your host, Robbie Cox. Now before we get into today's very special guest, I just wanted to let all our loyal listeners out there know that we have started our own line of merchandise for the podcast, now on sale right now. The original tees are out there. It's the OTB Crew line. Uh, we have many, many other clothing items coming your way, including hoodies, singlets, even socks. But for right now, we have the OTB Crew original tee available for purchase on our website. So please make sure you click on the link tree in our bio. Follow that link to our website to purchase yours today as well as being an awesome t-shirt which it definitely is it's equally as important because it's another way to support the podcast that you guys are loving each and every week we deliver all over the world so yes even our listeners in the usa or the uk can get their hands on some merch so what are you waiting for Jump on our Insta page right now, follow the link tree to our website and purchase an OTB Crew original tea today to become a part of the crew. But that's it. It's enough selling for one show. It's time to crack on with the show. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second inning. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. today on the show from across the other side of the world is a woman who achieved great success over in Tokyo at the Olympic Games just one month ago, making her first individual final in the women's 100-meter freestyle. And who can forget her part in the gold medal winning world record setting performance for Great Britain in the mixed four by one medley, really. It's my pleasure to welcome back on the podcast one year from her last visit, now Olympian and Olympic gold medalist, Miss Anna Hopkin. Anna, how are you going, mate? Hi, I'm good, thank you. It's good to be back on the show. Well, mate, it's good to see you again. And, and last time, as I said, we, we chatted, you know, those sort of things that we just spoke about were all goals of yours. How nice is it to, to know that, you know, one year on, um, you've been there, you've been to the big show and, and you've achieved quite a lot. Yeah, it's still like, I don't think I'm used to being announced as an Olympic champion still. That sounds kind of weird, but um no, it's quite amazing how much has happened since we last spoke and like how much of it has actually come into fruition. Obviously, last time we spoke, it was in the middle of the pandemic, had no idea if everything was even going to go ahead. So it's it's nice knowing it's all done now. Now, talk about, you know, nice. How nice has it been to be back home and to celebrate with your family and friends? So it's obviously, you know, one thing to to achieve these successes and be around your teammates, but obviously it's a good feeling to, to get home with family and friends and, and celebrate with them as well. Yeah, it was an amazing reaction from everyone back home. And obviously they would have loved to be out there with me and it would have been amazing to celebrate with them in Tokyo, but obviously, you know, no one could have that experience. So I think seeing all of their reactions, like through videos when they were watching the races and things, it kind of made it, 
almost more special and obviously then coming back home after not seeing them for so long it kind of just made the whole thing more special like being reunited and everything and we did a lot of celebrating saw a lot of friends that I've not been able to see for quite a long time because of lockdown and all the restrictions and everything and so it was just a lot of celebrating and great to share the success with everyone that's obviously been supporting me for so long yeah how many pints were bought for you Um, probably more uh, glasses of champagne and Prosecco, to be honest. Oh, oh, very nice. Well, I just, you know, I know obviously coming back and certainly with the success you had, there would have been many, many times you just look to your right or look to your left and there's a new glass in front of you like, there oh, you go, Anna. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got so many like obviously gift bags with like bottles of Prosecco and champagne and I had like friends over and I was like, we've just got, you've just got to help me get through this all because <laughs> I don't want to like I'm sure they weren't too bothered to help you, mate. I'm sure they were up for the task. (laughs) (laughs) Now, one of the most successful team GB, um, you know, games in history. What was that like for you to be a part of that? And how excited were you to be around your teammates, especially, you know, even before the game? So going into camp before the games, I know you train with quite a few of the, you know, the swimmers that are on there. We've talked about that. But how exciting was that for you to to be amongst, you know, such a, a great group of guys? Yeah, it was incredible because, like, obviously after the year that everyone's had and it's been difficult knowing what kind of sort of stage you're at with your swimming and whether you're going to be able to kind of produce the kind of um, performances you want. But, like, after, especially after having such a successful Europeans with the team and obviously we had the entire Olympic team on that Europeans team and we dominated in relays, got a load of individual medals. And I think the buzz around the team was just just really exciting we had a lot of potential a lot of first-time Olympians who were just kind of raring to be going and getting excited and so I think just being a part of that was just something really special and we kind of knew that we'd had a really good preparation and we had a lot to prove at the Olympics and we could sort of be really I don't know fight for medals in relays that maybe we hadn't previously been sort of in the mix with before especially like say the four by one free women's we've Mm we weren't even going to be entering that until we swam it at Europeans and then won Europeans. And we were like, well, we could do quite well at this. <laughs> Entered it, And now I think it's a relay that has a lot of potential going into the future. And so I think there were a lot of swims at the Olympics that, you know, we're, it's, we're all a young team and ever, hopefully most of the team will be there in Paris. And so it's quite exciting to see where we can be by then. And I think the momentum throughout the Olympics obviously went, you know, Adam won, won the first gold and that kind of got everyone going, like, we want to be part of this success and we want to do what he just did. And I think there's just a real, there's a real, like, nice atmosphere within the team. Like, everyone was just there to give their best, enjoy the experience. There's no unnecessary pressure or burden put on anyone. And it was just a great experience to be a part of, to be honest. Yeah, I'm glad you bring up the four by one because we're going to get to that at, at some point in the chat. And, you know, I thought you guys did tremendously. Now, before we get to more sort of Olympic chat, I know obviously uh, anybody that's been keeping up with swimming and been watching the, you know, the ISL season three is kicked off over in Italy. Uh, I think we're two matches down. I think there's a third one coming up either today or tomorrow. Um, 
you know, for you, excited to be racing again, uh, DC Tridents. How's that been for you? And what was what's it been like for you guys as a group? And obviously, you're all having discussions over there around it. What's it been like, you know, after such a high with the Olympics and everyone doing so well, coming back, celebrating? You got to pick yourself back up again and, and get ready to swim fast. Yeah, it's been quite a tight turnaround, and obviously, you know, swimming is it's eleven and a half months season so you don't get much time off and typically after olympics is when you take a bit of a longer break and especially after this has been a five-year cycle i think potentially more people would have wanted to take a longer break um but i mean for me because i'm still quite young in the sport in terms of just been making international teams the last sort of three four years um and obviously having such a successful olympics I obviously needed that time off. I took two weeks off and like made the most of it, did as much as I could in that two weeks. But I think I'm quite happy to kind of ride the wave and keep the momentum going, especially next season's quite a big season for us in terms of worlds, Europeans and Commonwealth. There's a lot going on. So I feel like obviously you do have such a high after Olympics and it's great to share that and celebrate it. But sometimes the come down after that, when you're not training, you don't have a focus, you don't have a motivation and you've kind of done all the partying and the celebrating. And then it's a bit like, what do I do now? And so having this and flying out to Naples and being in a, a nice hot country with beautiful views and meeting lots of new people, obviously we're doing racing and we're training and we are taking it seriously, but it's almost nice just to be somewhere different and kind of have that motivation to keep training and have something to aim towards. So, um, I think, I don't know if that's just the way I framed it to make it like to get my mind in the right place. But um, I think some people maybe needed a bit longer off and they've decided not to do ISL. But I think for me, it's like a really just positive experience. I think it's a great way to think of it. And just talking to some of the Aussies over there um, who've had on the podcast, I always like to keep up to date with where they're at and how they're feeling. And and they've been enjoying it. A couple of the boys are part of the, the New York breakers and, they've been really loving that sort of, um, you know, team environment as well. So, you know, on a positive note, you know, outside of the pool, they're, they're really enjoying being around that that team and that different sort of, as I said, environment. Yeah, I think um, we obviously have our training times, but outside of training, it's very different to like the Budapest bubble last year, where it's like you have to stay on the island, you can't go anywhere, you can't do anything. We are allowed to be out and about and kind of, going to restaurants, going to the beach. And I think that just obviously meeting new people. There's a lot of people on this. I don't think I really knew anyone on this team that well before I came out here and everyone's been really welcoming and kind of created some really nice bonds with people already. And so we do stuff as a team and we go out and we get to know each other. And then that only strengthens your bond when you're actually racing. So I think potentially in Budapest, it was quite hard to do that when you're so restricted as to where you can go. So Mm. it's just... Yeah, I mean, I'm having a great time out here and we've still got quite a lot, you know, we've got sort of three, four weeks still to go. So obviously a lot of racing as well in that time, but it should be exciting. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm very jealous. Like Italy <laughs> Italy is my favourite place in the world other than Australia. And uh, I, I'm super jealous of you guys. Obviously in Naples, have you been, like, obviously we've got to look after our nutrition, but have you had any sort of uh, margarita pizzas? Because very famous margarita pizzas there. Yeah, I think I need to start like restricting how many pizzas I can have. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you'll be out and about and be like, 
should we just grab some food here? And it's like, what should we have? Well, obviously pizza, because it's like mm-hmm. the thing we have here. Um, so yeah, I think I've had a few pizzas. Um, I'm trying not to have too many. Um, trying to like just limit it to the weekend, maybe. Oh, don't worry, mate. I don't blame you. As I said, that was, <laughs> you know, when we I that was a part of our um mine and my wife's honeymoon was over in, in Italy and we, we traveled and we went to Naples and margarita pizzas and, oh, don't get me started. Yeah. I'm getting jealous again, just thinking about being back over there. So you guys are, are <laughs> definitely living the dream. I can see why uh, it wasn't too hard to, to get back in the pool and race again, especially in such a, a great environment. Now tracking back to, to Tokyo and the games, what was the village life like for you? Cause obviously, as I said, this is sort of fresh eyes for you. What was it like? Uh, a lot was made of the cardboard beds and all that sort of stuff. What what did you uh, find it was like? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of like stuff around things like the cardboard beds. <laughs> like, obviously, there was some COVID cases initially, and there's quite there's a bit of like negative press going on around around the sides. But being a part of it in there, like, I thought it was all really well organized. It was they'd kind of obviously put in the precautions and. COVID wise and making sure everyone was safe but it still felt like an Olympic village and it still felt like you'd kind of experience everything that was part of an Olympics and obviously when you're competing in the arenas you can kind of tell there's no spectators but in the village you're just surrounded by athletes and so you do really get that Olympic vibe which is really nice and um, you know GB had like a great block and we were all in there so got to kind of get to know some of the other athletes from different sports which was great and yeah I mean I think it was just really well organized like the entire thing and um like the volunteers were incredible the bus timings were amazing and just yeah it was just really well done I was going to ask you actually you've just reminded me I did see um some uh, social media videos of you guys you got on your bus and I think you were going to the village or something like that I don't know where you were. I can't remember. You'll you'll correct me when you hear this because you it's probably it'll trigger a memory. But you guys were all on a bus and people and there was like people outside of your hotel, you know, with good luck signs and all this sort of stuff. Do you remember that? Yeah. So it was like, I mean, we had that from when we left the pool in our holding camp after our last session. There's a a primary school, I think, or secondary school opposite, and all of their kids were out like waving mm-hmm. to us like saying good luck and everything which was so nice and then then we went to the hotel and then went from the hotel to the village and so when we left the hotel we had more people outside with posters and signs good luck and it was just so nice to feel like the support from people in Japan and kind of rooting for us and obviously they'd put a lot of effort into providing a holding camp for us and making sure everything ran smoothly and um, I think especially after you know, there has been negative press around the Olympics sort of running up to it and whether the Japanese population wanted us there and um, were we going to be welcomed in. And so to have that kind of reception and reaction, it just kind of like made you feel like, you you know, they do want you here and they want you to succeed and they're, re- they're rooting for you. So that was just, yeah, really special, I think. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up. It's probably something that hasn't been spoken enough about, um, even on my own podcast, as, you, as you're saying that. I'm thinking, we haven't really discussed this before, <laughs> but just how well the Olympics, you know, came off and we never really heard any major press about, you know, COVID cases and things like that, even though there were a few positive um, testing and stuff like that. But it, it never really sort of got in the way of what was going on. And it all really, you know, to your point, seemed like a, a great vibe from the outsider looking in. 
Yeah, I mean, I think when you've got Japan hosting, you always know it's going to be organized really well. And, you know, we were tested every day. And obviously, initially, there were a couple of positive tests. Um, and I think the media maybe just hyped that up a lot. And they were like, oh, this mm. is it spread around the village. But it was so well contained. Like, obviously, they, you know, found it, got those results. They immediately isolated those people, made sure it didn't spread around the village at all and it didn't and there were so many other precautions in place everyone was wearing masks throughout the village we had um screens in the dining so you weren't kind of you know in contact with anyone really yeah. and kind of sanitizer everywhere and so I think it was done as well as it could possibly have been done really and like to be able to put that kind of show on in this situation I think was just incredible yeah, no, great point, mate. Absolutely. I was going to actually ask that you just reminded me of the other question. What was it like to have dinner feeling like you were somewhat in jail? Like it kind of gave you a perspective <laughs> of like talking to your, your visitor from the other side with that Perspect class. Yeah, it was actually quite hard because so you had Perspex like all the way in front along the table and then kind of each side. So you're in like a little cubicle almost. And it was fine talking to people to the side because they can obviously hear you because yeah. there's space and whatever, but it was so hard to hear people right opposite you because there's no like gaps in the perspex all the way along the table. And so you kind of like had to like project your voice up and over <laughs> <laughs> or like sign language or something like that. Just try and get them to know what you're saying. Yeah, I know. It's mate. Obviously, uh, you know, I was going to say first world problems. It's not really a major issue in the in the grand scheme of things, but it, it must be yeah. obviously for us, um, you know, I wasn't there, but, you know, it would be something that would be foreign to me and I can assume it would be very foreign to you sitting down with that as well. So would have taken a yeah. little bit to get used to. Now let's get back to swimming for a little bit. Uh, talk to me about having the finals in the morning and heats at night. How did you go with that personally? Um, I think for me, like, I guess it was odd. Like, it's obviously different. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, but I think we'd, like, we'd had a couple of competitions where we'd been in that situation um, leading up to it. And I'm the kind of person that, I don't know, sometimes I, like, swim really well in a heat in the morning just randomly, and then I struggle to back it up in the following session. So I didn't – I wasn't too concerned about having to try swim fast in the morning – I think the hardest thing was having heat in the evening and then going into the semi-final in the morning. That was quite a tough turnaround just because um, if you're, no, you're taking caffeine or whatever for the heat at like eight o'clock at night or something, and then you have to like try and get to bed and get to sleep and then get up again in the morning for your semi-final. And I think in the 100 free, I obviously didn't swim as well in the semi-final. I only just scraped into the final, I think that was maybe something I wasn't quite prepared for was the turnaround from heat to semi. Like I was swam. My best time was in the heat in the evening. Mm. And then obviously trying to come back in the semi and repeat that was difficult, but then obviously making it through to the final and then being able to kind of come back fresh the next morning um, wasn't too bad. And obviously in relays, um, well, especially the mixed medley, like I didn't swim the heat, which meant I had kind of, a full day to recover after the final of the hundred and then come back fresh in the morning. So um, 
yeah, some of the scheduling was difficult, but it was just trying to like manage that. And obviously having people swim heats of relays in that situation is even more important, I think, to give everyone a bit of a rest. Mm. Well, it's good. Obviously, lessons learned, as you said, you know, trying to navigate those waters. It's not obviously going to happen every single time at each meet, but, you know, it's going to rear its head every now and then. I think they did the similar thing in Beijing. And so every now and then, you know, these time zone changes are, are going to happen. So it's always positive to, to take something out of it. Now, we mentioned at the beginning of the show that four by one freestyle relay and how proud you were of the girls. And, you know, you came fifth. Uh, in a really, really fast field. I mean, you know, the Aussie girls broke the world record. That just sort of gives mm-hmm. you an indication of how fast everybody was going. So for you guys to to go fifth in an, you know, an environment where, you know, perhaps, you know, looking back going forward, you probably didn't think that was possible. As you said, European champs killed it, had a great swim. Now you're looking forward, going, hang on a second, girls, we can do something here. <laughs> fifth in a super fast final. You must have been proud of the of the girls around you. Yeah, definitely. And I think that relay was such, it was just a good one for all of us to do. I was obviously day one, kind of, it can be a bit daunting. All of us, it was our first Olympics. And sometimes walking out to your first individual event at your first Olympics can be really scary. And so for us all to have that relay on day one and kind of walk out as a team and we can support each other, that was kind of a really special thing. And I think like it didn't it didn't conflict with anyone's other events and so it meant that we could all just give it a good go have a good bash out at it see what we could do um and obviously making that first olympic finals all of our first olympic finals and so to walk out again together and come fifth in the world in a relay that potentially we wouldn't have even entered until a few months before was sort of just a really special experience and i think there was no pressure on that relay because it was just kind of you know, we're all just going to give it a good go and see what happens. And I think by Paris, we can really build on that relay. And I think other people, other swimmers in Britain are going to be like, I want to be on that relay now, which will instantly kind of raise the bar for everyone. So that's kind of exciting. Absolutely. I think the other exciting (laughs) thing for you guys is, um, you know, you've somewhat got that underdog tag now of, you know, people don't expect us to be there. People aren't going to think we're going to get there, but we're slowly getting there, girls. So, you know, now you've got that confidence to build off and uh, work ethic. I thought you did a, a tremendous job. Um, we're going to get to your 100 freestyle in just a second. Before we get there, as you know, I like to give the listeners a bit of an insight into, you know, what you guys do and what you go through race plan wise. And we know how crucial a race plan is, especially at Olympic games. You only had to watch, you know, selfishly the Aussies and how well they executed at times race plans to the T, you know, not that it didn't give us anxiety watching how close they left it to the end just to get those gold medals, but you know, execution of race plans. What were your and your coaches, uh, uh, you know, tactics going into say a hundred freestyle. And can you share those sort of race plans with us? Yeah, I mean, for me in 100, the main thing is the easy speed over the first 50 because I am obviously a 50 100 swimmer. And so my back end isn't always my strength. I'm always out fast and it's just more about whether I can hold on for the second 50. And so the easier I can make that first 50, better the second 50 is going to go. And sometimes it's a bit counterintuitive. You can kind of, if you, you can try harder over the first 50, but not actually go any quicker. And then that just makes the second 50 obviously way harder. So the real fine balance between 
it feeling as easy as it possibly can to go as fast as you can at that like effort level. And so a lot of that comes into, you know, your taper and your preparation when you swim hundred free in January in hard training, you're never going to have that easy speed feel. It always feels hard and it always feels hard at the end, but come Olympics um, or whatever major meet and you kind of tapered for it. And it's such a good feeling when you go down that first length and you're like, this feels really good. And then you find out you're split later and you're like, it was really fast as well. That's obviously kind of the sweet spot, I guess. Um, but sometimes you never quite know if you're going to have that feeling until you dive in for the race. So it's sometimes quite hard not to just try too hard almost because you don't quite know where you're at and you don't want to like miss out on a semi-final place or whatever. So it is quite a fine balance and you have to trust a lot in your training and know that when you dive in, you're going to be feeling good and like going the pace that you need to. So that takes a lot of, you know, pace training um, leading up to it, I guess. So I was going to say, um, I've got two parts of that uh, question to come back with. The other one is how different is a race plan in a hundred meter relay? Is it the same or, you know, the four by one, or does it change slightly to make sure you're charging into the wall really strong and maybe a little bit more back end dominated, but just quickly on your sort of race plans, that was one thing from an outsider looking in, obviously I've had you on the podcast and for some reason, I don't know, everybody that I had on the podcast, I looked at as like my own swimmers when they were tra- when they were racing at the Olympics. Yeah. So I watched you, you know, very closely and I was watching your races and I was really proud of, you know, the execution I thought on your very first Olympics, as you said, how easy it is to kind of, um, I guess, not go away from your race plan, but, you know, overthink it a bit and go, oh, hang on, no, I need to get in the semifinal or I need to get in the final here. I need mm. to push it a bit harder, but you know, I thought you executed your race plans um, to perfection from an outsider looking in for whatever that means to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, I think like I was obviously my heat swim in the 100 was my best time um, of the whole sort of three races. Yeah. Um, and so that execution, I think, was like it was one of those where I was like, I know that was almost perfect execution. And so coming back into the semi final, it's almost like, we'll just do it again like that's just do the exact same thing but it's not as simple as that and I think um I think my first 50 I executed really well but I came off the wall and because I was ranked very high after the heat I think I was next to Emma McKeon and um kind of turned saw her like obviously ahead and I just kind of like really went to my legs on the underwater off the turn and kind of ex like I don't know used a lot of energy just on the underwater and I think when it came to like the last 10 meters I was really hurting and it's weird because that was my my slowest race but it was the one that hurt the most um so I think that just shows how important it is to kind of really manage your energy and manage your effort throughout the race and make sure you have something in the last 10 meters so that you're not going backwards almost I'm curious though, obviously in hindsight, we, you look back, how, how long did it take you to notice or to see that? Was that something that you and Mel picked up straight away that, hang on a second, this is what you did in that race plan. Maybe that's why you didn't quite finish as strong. Or is that mm. something, you know, a week later you kind of thought about it and you had time to process it and you really sort of, you know, broke it down and, and pinpointed that. Cause I think it's important for all the young swimmers out there that are listening you know, so often when, when they touch the wall and they look at the time and it's not quite what they want, 
you know, you know, they say, oh, it wasn't a good swim. And the parents say, well, that's not your PB. But really, when you break it down and you really look back, it comes down to decisions and little moments. And as I said, what I think is brilliant about what you just said is you've been able to drag that back to a certain moment and a time. How long did it take you to pinpoint that? I think that was actually instant because I just remember thinking in that semifinal, like, I can try and catch her on the underwater. And like coming into the wall, I knew that was probably a bad decision because it's really burning by that point. And then when we analyzed the, and I said that to Mel, like as soon as I kind of was in the swim down and we were talking about the race and everything. And, um, <clears throat> and so it was kind of an instant thing I knew. And then when we looked at the race and analyzed it, we saw that I had actually gone maybe a meter further underwater off the turn than I had in the heat or had in previous races. And so what I kind of knew I'd done was showing on the analysis as well. And so we kind of knew instantly like that was something that I needed to change for the final. And so obviously, luckily I scraped into the final. It would have been really frustrating if I hadn't been able to rectify it again. Um, but I think maybe having done the heat and executed it so well, it's sometimes difficult to have something else to kind of focus on. Whereas when I knew I'd done that in the semi-final, and when I went into the final, I was like, I know exactly what I need to do and what I need to focus on and make sure I correct that for the final. And so it's almost when you have a not so good swim that you actually learn a lot more from it. Well, mate, what's super funny about that, and I don't know why I'm taking over this time to tell a selfishly a selfish story, but I was just talking to my my swimmers uh, this afternoon. I've been trying to make sure I'm doing, um, you know, my own one-on-one because we're in lockdown here in Sydney, but I'm still trying to make sure I'm reaching out to my swimmers and and having chats. And um, and that's one thing we brought up was that, um, you know, mistakes we make are not failures. They're just learning experiences and we can move forward from that. And sometimes uh, actually, they're, they're blessings because we, we learn a lot more from our failures than we do from successes. So, you know, it's funny. As I said, it's funny things, you know, you mentioned that. We are just talking about that about an hour <laughs> and a half ago. Yeah, I mean, like when you do a good swim, you kind of finish and you're like, great. Like you don't even feel like you need to look at the race video or look at the analysis because you're like, well, I did it all great. Whereas when you mess up, you kind of you want to instantly figure out why you messed up and so you actually have more of a analytical look at what went wrong and probably pick it out more than maybe you would when you do a good swim so it's always important to have not so good swims as well absolutely great advice and I'm glad we had that chat because I think it's perfect for all the young listeners to to go back to especially that part about you pinpointing you know where you think that swim went wrong because as I said, for a lot of swimmers, they always look at the end result. Really, if you tra- trace it back, there's always a moment within that race that maybe just didn't go to plan. It's not so much you weren't fast enough on the day. So perfect stuff, mate. Now, we've been talking a lot about it. Uh, let's get to it. The Olympic final, the 100-meter freestyle, seventh, 52-8-3. And I just want to say, as you know, as I said, someone who knows you and, and knows that story and, and knows what you've been through and Obviously, I'm an Aussie, um, but, you know, I was very, very pleased to, to see you do so well, obviously, in the heats as well. But to get into your first Olympic final, to put yourself out there, stacked final too. It's not like you're in a, a race full of yeah. nobodies. Like it was <laughs> Emma McKee, yeah. Kate Campbell, Penny Alexiak, Sarah Show. I mean, I can keep going. Uh, you did a phenomenal job. You must be proud of yourself. You know, take, take away, obviously, you know, um, 
time and all that sort of stuff. You've got to be proud of yourself when you look back at where you've come from and your goal setting that you were in an Olympic final with such a, a fast field and, and really, you know, taking it to them as well. Yeah, definitely. And that was always the goal for me going into Olympics was make an individual final. Um, obviously, I made the 50 final at Worlds. And I think the last couple of years, I've really focused on building up my 100. And so that was always the aim was to make that final. And I did always know it was going to be quite open because, I mean, you've got Emma and Kate who were, you know, swimming so fast all year and people like Shosha are always going to turn up and Alexiat was coming through. And so I always knew it was going to be sort of really difficult to aim for medals. But I mean, I think I was only 0.3 off bronze in the end, even though I came seventh. So um, it just shows how stacked that field was, but also like how close I am to kind of getting to that point. And so that's quite exciting going forward. And I think to have that experience in an Olympic final is only, only going to kind of motivate me going forward and obviously benefit me in terms of having that level of like pressure and um kind of again swimming against those kind of girls so um it was just like I think I was more excited walking out than nervous I was just like I've made it to this point and like I just wanted to finish the race knowing that I'd executed it the way I wanted to and obviously um you know, I was pretty close to what I did in the heat and that was such a kind of shock swim, the heat. I wasn't expecting to go that fast. So to be kind of back close to what I did then was the aim really. Um, obviously, you never know. Like sometimes you just have a out of the skin swim and maybe I could have got a medal, but um, it's one of those where I was really proud when I finished. I saw the time. I, I knew I'd swam a good race and I was proud when I touched the wall and that's kind of the feeling you want to get at the end of it. So um yeah and then like speaking to Mel after she was obviously really happy with how it had gone and really proud of me so I feel like we both were just I think everyone has a bit of like a moment in the Olympics and they're like wow I've just been in the Olympic final that's mm. pretty cool well and, and again like to put it into perspective and you know that's why I didn't want to harp on the the seventh because I, I think um, if I'm not mistaken, Kate Campbell went 52-5. So 52-8 really isn't that much of a difference. Yeah. You, you, were, you were really close. So a phenomenal job. And um, to put it into perspective, if you look at it, this was your first Olympic final. I and mean, you look at those girls that, um, you know, were, were up there on the podium. I think that was Kate's fourth Olympic final you know, final. And I think it was Emma's, you know, second or third. So it was definitely her second. So um, experience is a, is a lot. And, you know, you sound like definitely you've taken a lot away from, from those games in terms of experience as well. So as I said, you should be very, very proud of yourself, mate. And we're going to get to even more highlights. That's not even the biggest <laughs> highlight of your game. So um, mate, to give, you know, we get, as I said, we're going to get to that relay. Um, but as I said, I like to give the listeners a bit of an insight. So obviously we talked and you just mentioned it then, obviously being a 50 swimmer, but really wanting to improve your hundred. Clearly we did that. We made an Olympic final. What was your training like in the lead up to the Olympics to be able to switch gears and get you strong enough to not only go out fast, because you were going out pretty quick. Don't, you, know, don't, you were out there, yeah. you, were, you were putting yourself in the race, but you were strong enough to come back as well. What was your training like in the lead up to that? And did you get a sense that you were you were training pretty well that you could go on to to do something pretty special? I think it was a mix throughout the year because I obviously changed programs um, 
about a year and a half ago. And I guess when I spoke to you last, it was probably quite soon after I'd moved and kind of, you know, gotten back into training again and everything. Um, and so that winter training block was very, very tough, probably like the hardest kind of training I've ever really done. Um, and then obviously we had competitions in January, February, which were like the first long course competitions. And they were kind of put on specially for a small group of people, um, all COVID safe and everything, just so we could have some long course competition before trials in April. Um, and it was definitely a shock to the system racing long course again, especially because I was so tired and kind of run down after like we were still in really hard training throughout that period. Mm. And I think sometimes for me, I need, I need like one good swim just to give me confidence that I'm in a good place. And I had like, my swims were decent in those sort of January, February meets, but I think because I was just so tired, I didn't have like the real confidence boost I needed. And so I still kind of was a bit like, I don't know how I'm going to swim at trials. Like mm. I, it could go either way. Just a quick question, Anna. Sorry, because I'd I want yeah. to take this moment because I think it's a, a great opportunity because there's a lot of young swimmers out there that have set goals and go to a meet and maybe don't see the time on the board that they they want to see to make them feel like they're on the right track. What, you know, we know you went 52-8-3 in the finals at the Olympics. What were you going at this time in your hundreds to make you feel like you weren't getting a lot of confidence? So I, I think I was going like 54-9, 55-0. Um, and like, which isn't, it's really not that bad, but I was like, I want to go like a, a 54 low just to like get a bit of a boost. Um, and I felt like every time I swam, I was just kind of like, just maybe just beating myself up a bit too much and like losing confidence. And so then, um, it came to one of the last hundreds I did in the second, the February meet and, I think I, I think I spoke to my coach in America and I obviously spoke to Mel and he was just like, you know how to swim. Like you haven't forgotten how to swim. Just like take all the expectation and pressure away from trying to go a specific time and just relax and like, just try and enjoy it. Like just do what you've done for like however many years. And so then I like, I kind of went into that last race and I was a bit like, well, it can't be any worse. So, um, which is probably a really like downbeat attitude to have, but I was kind of just a little bit like, just didn't quite know where I was at. And then um, just kind of went into it really relaxed and chilled. And I was just like, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Like I know I'm in hard training. It doesn't define like what I'm going to do in a few months. So just like enjoy the race. And then I went a 54, four, and so at the end of that, I was like, I just suddenly got like a burst of confidence. And so like, I think I'd just been putting too much pressure on needing to do a good swim to know that I would be in a good place for trials. Whereas yeah. it didn't really matter what I did at that point. Cause obviously I was in very hard training, doing a lot of gym and into trials, I was going to have obviously a taper and things. So, um, yeah, I think I was maybe just, I think, it was because I hadn't swam long course in so long. I didn't have a competition like a few months back to be like, oh, well, I'm not swimming so well now, but a few months ago I swam really well. So it's fine. 
Um, whereas obviously because of the pandemic, I hadn't had many competitions. So um, I was glad I had like at least one swim I was pretty happy with. So going into trials, I had a bit more confidence and, um, you know, we kind of changed up my program going into trials in terms of just making sure I'd had a bit more rest and laying off the gym a little bit just because I had been so tired. And so um, obviously at trials, like it was still a decent swim. Like I was obviously happy with it. I got the consideration time. I made the team, um, but I kind of knew there was more in there. And I think I just needed uh, just to get back into it, like a few good swims and obviously Europeans, I went quicker than I did at trials, even though I wasn't tapered. And I think that was a lot down to just having the confidence from trials, knowing I was on the team. Um, and I think from that point on, I was just gaining confidence and that really showed, I think, at Olympics. Absolutely. Phenomenal performances, as I said. And and I love, again, I think we're doing some great chats here. I think there's a lot of takeaways for, <laughs> for the younger swimmers there because, you know, to my point and why I stopped you before, there's so many swimmers out there that in the lead up to like a nationals here in Australia, maybe two months out, you know, hit a time. They're like, oh, my God, that's not what I want to be. You know, and mum's saying, well, that's, you know, that's not what your goal is. And are you even trying? And I, I think the takeaway mm. from that is to trust the process and, and you, you definitely did that. And, I mean, look at it. You went from, as you said, you know, high 54 uh, to even 55s down to a 52, uh, you know, yeah. mid in, in an Olympic final in, in the space of not that long when you really break it down. It's not that, you know, big of a difference in time. So, mate, phenomenal job. And, and hopefully, you know, the young swimmers listening can take a lot away from that and learn to, to trust the process and, and believe in, in themselves and their goals and, uh, back themselves and I'll stop rambling on now. Now, um, <laughs> what were your favorite sets? Um, you know, clearly, as I said, we, we've worked on the hundred. Um, not only were you out fast, but you came back really strong. So obviously you worked on your back end there and making sure you're coming back quick. Were there any standout sets that, you know, you did with Mel and, and the team that when you finished it, although it probably nearly killed you and you're busted, you, you got a lot of confidence out of it. You sound like a swimmer who, who needs to gain confidence out of things. Was there a, a set that, you know, you gained a lot of confidence out of that sort of let you know you're on the right track? Um, I think, so like during that kind of hard winter training kind of period, we do a lot of, I guess, lactate tolerance sets and max 50s or 75s, quite short rest with no swim down. And I mean, I'm not the kind of swimmer that does, back-to-back -back swims that well um I was gonna say you didn't you, you don't come across as someone who's gonna no. be loving that sort of stuff <laughs> so that's the they're the kind of sets that I really struggle with and I find very very hard but I know are going to be beneficial um but I think for me it's a balance between if I do a set like that by the third or fourth effort the quality just isn't there anymore and it's like, is it worth doing just a really terrible 50 with bad technique? Or is it better to kind of stop after three, take a longer rest or do a 25 instead of a 50 just to work on the quality rather than just trying to finish the length with terrible technique? So I think that's kind of something we've learned over time is that when the technique and quality starts to break down, I'm not really getting any benefit from it. And so um, 
I think sets I really liked, we do sort of like 40 25s, uh, one from a dive, one from a push. And I would kind of, I would just, they were all max on a minute, I think. And I would just keep going until it started to break down. And then I'd do a couple of easy ones. And then I'd go fast again and keep going until it started to break down. All my times were kind of coming, getting a lot slower or whatever. Because um, I think that's probably one of the most important things for me is always having great quality technique. And as soon as I'm doing anything fast with bad technique, it's just instilling bad habits. And so it's kind of not really benefiting me at all. So um, obviously there's the, those really sort of hard sets that make you feel a bit sick. And then um, the sets I do really enjoy are kind of when I just have really fast all out efforts and then a bit of easy and then into another all out effort. So I'm kind of like still getting tired over time, but I'm able to give it everything each time, kind of have absolutely nothing left. Yeah. Recover enough to get back up and go again. Um, I think again, perfect takeaways there is that there's many ways to skin a cat. So there's many of the kids there that are sitting at home going 40, 25s. Thank God. Finally, somebody said a set that I could get really excited about because we've heard (laughs) some, you know, some horror, horror sets on this show. That's for sure. That just made people think, oh my God, but that, that yeah. actually sounds like, uh, you know, an enjoyable set. And as I said, it, there's many ways to skin a cat. So clearly it's working for you and different ways to think about it. And I think uh, that's a perfect example of, of what all swimmers and, and, you know, coaches and teams should be doing out there is looking at every swimmer individually and what do they need rather than trying to put everyone in the same box. So mate, perfect takeaways. Let's get to, um, you know, the, the, I want to say the main event, but it was definitely a, a massive highlight for your Olympic games. That's for sure. And the four by one mixed medley relay. Talk to me about, before we get to the race itself, the vibe before the final, what was the team talking about leading into the race? Cause this, I mean, this is the very first time it's been at Olympic games. No doubt, I don't know what it was like for you guys, but in Australia there were many statisticians coming out of the woodworks that wanted to work out uh, who was yeah. the faster combination and people who weren't really normally uh, as excited about, you know, these sort of things were, you know, mapping it all out. So what was the vibe like for you guys before you got in? Um, I think mainly excitement because obviously we'd almost broken the world record at Europeans and I'd been lucky enough to be on that team at Europeans and kind of I remember in the post-race interview, you know, Jimmy always gets very hyped up when we do a good swim. And so he was kind of like saying like, you know, we can't wait to do it at the Olympics. We're going to break that world record at the Olympics and whatever. And so I guess we all kind of knew that we had a really special team and potentially a really great chance at a gold and a world record. Um, But, and although there was pressure, like I was nervous because I was anchoring a team that could potentially win a gold. Um, nobody put that pressure on me in terms of the other people on the team or the coaches. It was all just about each person, do your part, swim your race, correct processes. Don't worry about who's next to you or who's coming up behind you. Just focus on your own swim. And I think that was like a real message throughout the relay team. And um, it can be difficult in mixed relays because obviously I think with the guys like Jimmy and Adam tend to get very hyped up and like, like to almost put pressure on themselves to get them in a mindset to swim fast. Whereas I think, I don't know if it's all girls, but at least me and Kathleen, we're just a bit more chilled and I kind of like to be more relaxed and low pressure and see it as like, 
just enjoy it don't worry about the outcome because then you just don't think about your race or your process you just think about the outcome and so I think we we all had quite different sort of approaches in the call room but I think the guys kind of maybe saw that and knew that piling the pressure on us wasn't the way to go especially when it was mine and Kathleen's first Olympics first chance to go for a gold medal like telling us like you need to swim fast or you don't mess this up for us is not going to help so mm. Jimmy was just like just enjoy it think about your processes don't worry about where anyone else is which I think is exactly what we needed to hear going into it and so yeah I was really grateful they kind of took that approach with us well, I was going to say, we, we all saw how excited the boys got. Adam nearly, you know, grabbed Kathleen, nearly threw her into the roof. He was that excited. So we, we also, I exaggerate, but he definitely picked her up and I don't think she was ready for it. So he was definitely yeah. excited, that's for sure. Now, the race itself, um, you know, you were there. Talk to us about, you know, that race through your eyes. What was your experience like? Because you've got the unique experience, I guess, of sitting back and watching it all unfold and then away you go to, to bring it home. Yeah, I mean, we all knew we were probably going to be towards the back after the first leg because obviously we had Kathleen versus some of the guys. So that was always kind of, it was always going to be Adam and Jimmy catching as much as they could, which is actually, I think, a really good position for both of them to be in. Like Adam loves to chase, mm. loves kind of try and catch people. So um, I think seeing him coming through and... I think he caught the American girl or he was very close to catching her by that point. And so that kind of put us right back in the race and then having Jimmy. Um, I think I knew that we probably needed to be about at least five seconds ahead of Dressel going in. And I think at the first turn on the fly, Jimmy was four seconds ahead of them. And I was like, I think he, by the end of his hundred, he's going to be plenty ahead of them. So I think I'm going to be okay. Um and obviously had an eye on like the Aussies and the, the Chinese teams because obviously they had girls on the freestyle and I knew Emma was coming on the Aussie freestyle and, you know, she's the Olympic champion. So kind of aware that she would be chasing me down. But um, I did think diving in, I, I thought I had quite a good lead and I should hopefully be okay. But I also didn't want to focus too much about where anyone else was or what they were doing. But I did have a quick look at the turn about like where Dressel was. And I was like, I think I'm okay. <laughs> Quite far behind. So it should be all right. I want to circle back to what we talked about earlier, which was race plans. How important is it to execute a race plan in the relay? You mentioned there, obviously, you know, it's a mix of emotions. There's a lot going on. It's easy enough to get behind the blocks for yourself. When you've got a lot going on, you don't know who's chasing you, how far apart you are, how much lead you're going to get. How important is it to execute a race plan? And does that race plan change for you? Or is it exactly the same as it was for your individual race? Um, yeah, it is very important to execute a race. I think, I think generally with any relay, you kind of get a bit excited down the first length and maybe go out a little bit quicker than you would on your individual. But I don't know what it is about a relay. Like you, you just don't. I mean, you do die and it does hurt, but you just know like something else you're like, I can't, I can't slow down. I can't like let someone catch me. And so maybe it's just that 
extra level of motivation, even though you're going out a bit quicker and maybe it does hurt quite a lot down the last 10 meters, you just have something else to keep you going because the thought of losing a gold in the last 10 meters is just for the team. It's just awful. And like, yeah, you just find something else. Well, find something else you did. You mentioned there, and I didn't know this, obviously, being an Aussie. So, you know, the, the European champs, you said, Jimmy said uh, that, uh, you know, world record. And obviously, we, we know what happened at the Olympic Games. How excited, well, sorry, how was that moment for you standing on the dais with your teammates, knowing what you'd achieved? And as I said, going back to European champs with what he'd prophesized and what he'd foreseen, who knew he was a clairvoyant of the future? <laughs> um, but obviously, you know, it makes for that story, doesn't it? It makes for that moment when it's a, it's a build up to that moment so much, I think. And what we loved about the Olympics was there's a lot of theater. There was a lot of build up of stories. And, you know, selfishly, as I said, as an Australian, there was a lot of that as well, would say Ariane and, and Katie Ledecky and Kyle Chalmers and, yeah. and Caleb Dressel. There was a lot of build up. For you personally, obviously, this is a build-up as well. This was a moment that going back to European Championships, you guys had had foresaw. What was that moment like when you were up there hearing the national anthem and it's all come together? Yeah, it's quite surreal, like, thinking back about it because, like, I think at Europeans when I was on that team and was, you know, we, we won and were so close to world record, it was almost like a mix of excitement and nerves, like excitement because you know, I want to be on that team in the Olympics, but also nerves because I'm like, if I am on that team, like we want to win it and I'm going to be the one on the last leg and that's going to be scary. But um, so it's quite weird, like when you've actually done it and you've kind of, everything has gone the way you wanted it to and you've kind of put out the best swim you could and did it for the team and the team's won. And I mean, yeah, I mean, I never expected to stand on top of the podium at the Olympics. So it was, completely ridiculous really and I think I guess because it was the last event of the day and we kind of got whisked through media had to go straight to the medal ceremony like I barely even like spoke to anyone barely processed it and we were like like straight on top of the podium and it was all just like a bit of a whirlwind but um it was really nice to do it with the three others and they kind of like obviously to share that together was really special Absolutely. It was a fantastic moment for you guys. And as a fan, those are the moments that I love to watch because I think that's when you see people's true emotions. I don't think you really see people's true emotions when they finish a race. That's kind of just like instinct. That's, you know, it's yeah. like fight or flight. You know, some people cheer and jump up on a, you know, on a lane rope. Some people just kind of process it. Some people, poor guys and girls that, you know, they wear glasses. So they can't even see their results, some of them. And I feel really bad for those guys. I think when you get on the on the podium, as you said, that's the moment you get to see it finally sink in for people. So as a fan, that those are the moments that I love the most. And, and congratulations to you and the team on, on a phenomenal moment. And one, I guess, is going to live with you guys forever. And and you especially, and no doubt, drive you on to, to more success in the future, you know, with, with you know, t- bloody Paris is not that far away, really, is yeah, it? No. <laughs> it's crazy no, to mean- think it's only motivated me to like you know do better in Paris and I think throughout my career it's always been like um I'll carry on another year I'll carry on to Tokyo you know maybe then I'll get a job I don't know and then obviously swimming so well in Tokyo and it's like well Paris is only three years away I'm still relatively young in terms of sprinting um and so it's kind of exciting knowing that that's kind of so close coming up 
Well, mate, I'm excited for you now. Uh, one question I've got to throw out there because I, I noticed, obviously, during the coverage and then again in the research, no 50-meter freestyle. Where, what was the story behind that? And, and can you share with us, you know, what was the motivation behind pulling out? Yeah, so, I mean, me and Mel had already looked at my schedule before Olympics and we knew that, I mean, I obviously had the first relay and then had a couple of days off and then had the 100 and that, then that 100 would be straight into the 50, which also clashed with the mixed medley. Um, and obviously we knew we had a great chance of gold in the mixed medley and the 53 semi-final was only, I think, five or six minutes before the mixed medley. And so I potentially, I, I kind of agreed with her before I'd said, if I'm the one that they want to put on the mixed medley relay, I would be happy not to do the 50 because I knew that our chances in that relay was like, it would it'd be stupid to miss out on that if I was the, the name that they wanted on the anchor. Um, I think if I'd said, I want to do the 50, then they wouldn't have put me on the mixed medley um, because it was so close together. And I, I don't think I would have been able to back to back those. I know Emma did it and she's probably much better at doing it than I would be. Um, <laughs> that was kind of a sacrifice that I think was hundred percent worth taking and obviously paid off. And I wouldn't have wanted to miss out being on that relay final for anything. And so um, it wasn't really a difficult decision for me. I would have, it would have been amazing to see what I could have gone on the 50, obviously knowing as in good form and would have been nice to see what I could have gone, but also you've kind of got to know your limits and know that, I wouldn't be able to, you know, back up um, the 50 with 100 as good a quality as I think I needed to to be on that team. And so that was kind of a decision that I was quite comfortable with, really. Mm. Well, mate, in hindsight, having a look at it, perfect decision. It definitely worked out for you yeah. guys and worked out for you. And, um, you know, just to, just to, you know, go back to what you said about Emma, you know, to, to help you out here. She was 200 swimmer coming down. So I think that definitely helped her be able to, to back yeah. it up and, you know, all the races, I don't know how she did it, but she had a you know a phenomenal amount of races. So I think it's a yeah, little bit incredible. different for, you know, for you guys who are 50 swimmers coming up as opposed to her as a 200 swimmer coming down, but uh, yeah, perfect uh, decision for you and coach and talking about coach Mel Marshall, I thought, um, you know, from a fan of hers, as well as a coach, she had a phenomenal meet on a coaching level, how great was it to share, you know, your moments with her and, and obviously her own moments with you as well, because she had a, a phenomenal meet, as I said, as a coach. Yeah. I mean, I think the whole team was, we've had a really good run into the Olympics and it's been a really consistent training block, I guess, because we've not been traveling much. No one's really been injured or ill because we're just, in one place, there's not much potential to get injured or ill when you're just training in one location. Um, and so we were all like had a really good block going into it. And I think we all knew we were in a really good place. And um, yeah, I mean, our whole team did incredible, obviously, with Adam getting a gold and then the relay gold and Luke's bronze and um, the silver and the medley relay, I think, all came from people in in Mel's group. So um it was definitely exciting to be part of, and that's quite new to me, obviously having moved into a more elite squad to have, to be surrounded by people that 
are so successful um winning medals at such a high level it kind of brings you up to their level I guess and it was obviously amazing to be in a relay with Adam and both of us being you know coached by Mel was was quite special I think she got quite emotional after it so um I think she was really happy with how it all went yeah, and it's a good point you make. And I think, you know, your success and Luke's success is what made me say that. Obviously, there's no doubt Adam's a superstar. He's been on the podcast. He's, you know, we, we know, you know, his phenomenal success. It's not easy to stay at that level. So I'm not downplaying it at all. But to see you guys come through and the success that you had, um, and, and as I said, Luke's medal and you guys being a part of that mixed medley relay, I think that just shows the team that, that she's creating there. It's not an individual. It's a team. And how hard she's working. So, you know, if she does listen to the podcast, I'm trying to get her on, just reaching out again. Um, you know, Mel, if you want to come on, you're more than welcome. <laughs> just chucking it out there. But yeah, no, phenomenal, you know, and as a, as a fan of, of her coaching, um, I was definitely um, watching in admiration for sure. Um, quick question and outside of swimming, did you guys get to enjoy a night before you left over there? Or was it pretty much wish straight away? Like I was talking to Duncan, Scott, and he was pretty much saying, you know, once they were finished, they were on a bus, on a plane, and, and they were nearly home yeah. straight away. What was it like for you? Yeah, I mean, so obviously I raced the Saturday morning and then didn't have any races Sunday. So kind of had media all of Saturday, which was, like, completely crazy. Nothing I've ever experienced before, but amazing to just kind of be part of that whirlwind. But Quick um, question. What was the main question that you just kept getting asked? Was there one common theme that you're like, oh, this one again? Yeah, I've got this one because I've been like, asked. Has it sunk in yet? <laughs> I was like, I've not even like gone, I've not even unpacked my swimming bag yet. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was kind of like having that Sunday to just kind of process it, I guess. Like obviously with, with the guys in the medley relay, they raced Sunday morning, won that medal, had to do all that media and then um, – pack and we left Monday morning so um I think for them it must have been absolutely crazy but we did manage to celebrate a little bit on the Sunday night and I think there was a few people struggling on the travel Monday morning but um it was nice to kind of celebrate as part of the team and obviously we'd all in any other Olympics you would obviously have that time to kind of explore go out celebrate and obviously we didn't really have that so it was nice to have at least one day where we could kind of all join together and celebrate what we'd all done now just on those celebrations i seen on social media pardon me and i didn't see a lot of it but i, I saw there was some sort of a, a celebration in london was it for the team coming back some sort of a, a big do i don't know i know a lot of people you know some people weren't there obviously who who weren't from uh you know from england did you go to that do you know about that how was that received yeah, so um, when we arrived in Heathrow, we then got on a bus to a hotel where all our like family were and there was media. Um, and so like we got to see our family immediately, which was really nice. Um, it was just like, I mean, it was so like like good that they put it on and it was great to see everyone. We had pictures and stuff. But I mean, it was like 4 a.m. Japan time and I was absolutely exhausted and like, <laughs> yeah. we'd obviously not Right, uh, we've not slept that much Sunday night, um, and then travelled all day Monday, and then had and then had to do like press conferences at like four a.m. Japan time, and I was like barely able to keep my eyes open, trying to like process questions and stuff. So 
that was quite tough. And then I think um, by the time, because then it's a three hour drive from London to where I live. Um, so by the time I got to bed, it was like 7 a.m. Japan time. So I basically missed an entire night's sleep. And I was just <laughs> absolutely exhausted. But um, I think it kind of knocked jet lag on the head because I was literally to the point of exhaustion. So, um, but I mean, it was it was so nice to see like family as soon as you arrive and kind of see all all of the reaction of everyone else's families as well. So that was great. This is the um, journalist coming out of me now. What was your initial reaction when you saw family for the very first time? Um. I don't know, it's just like you just want to go hug them, don't you? I think it's just like it was quite weird. It was like we were all stood getting a group picture, like all the swimmers, and then the whoever was organizing it was like, okay, your family are now gonna walk out. And it felt like it was all and you knew there's cameras on you, and you was just a bit like oh, it's just weird, like having a camera watching you as you go and hug your mum for the first time. It all just felt very like X Factor, like <laughs> but um I mean, you just kind of ignore all the cameras and just like talk to them as like there's no one else around. So, yeah, it was good to see them. I can understand, mate. Um, Not so much that sort of experience in terms of coming home from an Olympics, but what you just said reminded me and all the people who have been to weddings and been involved in wedding parties will understand this when I say this now. The, the, mo- the amount of time I've heard photographers say, just go over there and act natural. <laughs> and like, well, I know you're taking photos of me. So how can I act natural? Like you, yeah. like, so I imagine it's very similar. Like they want to see this organic moment between you and your family whilst there's a thousand cameras in your face watching it yeah. as well. Well, there was one point where, cause there's obviously however many cameras, but a lot of swimmers, a lot of families, and they were trying to like film everyone. And so I'd like hugged all my family, said hi. And like, we'd all had a catch up. And then a bit later, a camera comes as like, can you all just hug again? <laughs> we need to get it on camera. And I was like, it's not very natural though. <laughs> <sighs> These people. I mean, I bagged them out, but I pretty much asked you that question for the exact same reason. So, I mean, am I just as bad? Probably. Yeah. Um, talk to me about the Team GB culture. It's one that, you know, as a fan of underdogs, I admire. And, and I don't want to say sound you know, bad when I say that, but, you know, in terms of world swimming, you guys are on the rise, you're charging forward, but you're probably not at the very, very top in terms of, you know, America, um, China, uh, Russia, Australia, if you know what I mean. I, I'm, that's why what makes me so excited watching you guys and I love talking to you is because I'm always a fan of that underdog story. Talk to me about the Team GB culture because it's one, again, from afar, I, I really admire. Yeah, I think we have had a bit of a culture shift since like 2012 and going through Rio. And I think um, there's just, I think more of a bonded culture within the team. And um, I think everyone, I think maybe like years back, I don't know, like people, your aim was to get on the team. It wasn't necessarily making finals, winning medals. And I think that's culture's, change definitely like if you are on the team you want to make an impact you don't just want to make up the numbers you don't just want to be there to say you've been to the olympics you want to be there and make a final be on a relay get a medal you kind of just want to have some noticeable impact on the team and when you've got people like 
Adam and Duncan, who are so successful and winning so many medals, you you want to kind of be a part of that and play your part. And I think um, that culture is really changing. And I think Adam talks a lot about everyone's belief that they can be that person. And I think that's definitely grown a lot. And I think for me, I've noticed it definitely training with Mel. She's all about belief and like, you can do anything if you put your mind to it, if you believe in yourself. And so I think that's maybe spread throughout the team as well. And, um, you know, you see people coming through out of nowhere all the time. It's like, well, why couldn't that be you or me or just sneak a medal? You know, why not? If you're in a final, like, why can't you aim for a medal? So um, I think that's definitely changing. And I think it's only going to get better kind of, as we go through the next few years. Absolutely. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what I'm seeing. I'm, I'm definitely seeing more belief. I'm definitely seeing people popping up in places um, that, you know, probably as as you said, you know, in the past as a one-off, you look at, you know, Rebecca Adlington, you know, oh, every now and then there's that standout. But, you know, we're starting mm-hmm. to see Team GB swimmers in finals and, and you know, being in placings and right up there more prominently and and definitely it comes from that culture and belief. Um, You hit the nail on the head for you outside of ISL, which I know you're a part of now, what's the plans for the next month or so? Like, are you looking, are you going to have a break? Have you got a break scheduled at some time or, and we, we talked about this before and I know next year is such a a packed schedule that you obviously want to be a part of anyone that's loving swimming wants to be a part of those teams. And how could you not after your phenomenal success at the Olympics. You want, you want to be in those moments again. Are you kind of cracking on and just getting straight back into it? Yeah, I think um, I probably have to be a bit careful. And it is such a busy year. I don't want to burn out by the time we get to like Commonwealth or Europeans. And so um, obviously we're doing ISL now. And then I think maybe I'll take a week off after this ISL block. Um, hopefully we make it through to the next block and then um potentially after that block I can maybe take another week off um and then obviously we'll kind of get back into winter training start preparing for worlds in May so there's not going to be really a period where I take a extended break but I think maybe just little little weeks off here and there just to kind of refresh and reset because like it's already been a long cycle and a long season and then to go straight into another long season with a lot of competitions to kind of focus on you could potentially just burn out by you know before you get to the summer meets which obviously I don't want to happen so um I think the focus will be kind of worlds and may and maybe then take a week off after that as well and just then rebuild into the summer so I think it'll just be kind of looking at the schedule and seeing when is sensible to take a bit of time off. Yeah. I think it's going to be a sort of a chess game in in a way, like, you know, the people who make the right moves, I think are going to benefit from that next year. And though there's going to be people who crack on and just keep getting straight into it. And, you know, hopefully, you know, that it works out for them. And there's going to be people who want to have a break now and refresh and and hopefully it works out for them. As I said before, mate, there's many ways to skin a cat. So it's whatever works for you. So, I think you've got the right plan yeah. for yourself there. I mean, there's like World Cups and there's European short course, World short course, all before December. And it's kind of weighing up, do I want to do any of that? It's obviously a lot of travelling. And I think 
potentially not. I think that would maybe just be a bit too much this side of December. I think maybe it would be more sensible to kind of aim for the big long course meets next year. Um, but it's always something I could jump on a lot. Like if I think like oh, I'm actually feeling good, I feel like I want to keep going. I don't want to break. So I think we'll just see how it goes throughout the year. Absolutely, mate. Now, perfect time to wrap it up. Thank you very much for coming on for a chat. I know we uh, took a bit of time actually getting together here tonight because <laughs> my I have no idea what was bloody happening with my Instagram. But anyway, I'm glad we sorted it out. We, we got made to, it. We made it. We got here and we, we got it done. Uh, and, mate, again, thank you very much for coming on for a chat and taking the time. I know you guys are busy over there with the, with the ISL. It's not super, you know, hectic but at the same time there's a lot going on and you don't know when you're free so i I appreciate you making the time to come on and and have a chat with me albeit my tardiness and actually uh, opening up the zoom chat to allow you to come in so i apologize for that um and and genuinely mate as i said and i don't want to you know harp on it but i'm a massive fan of yours from the time you come on the show after hearing your story um, and the lead up to, you know, where you got to, uh, you know, I was as a fan, phenomenally proud of, of what you achieved. Um, and I know you are, but you definitely should be, you, you have the right to be proud of what you achieved. And, you know, the one thing, even just taking out of this conversation um, and going back, and this is the coach coming out of me now is how much I think you've grown in just a year in terms of your personality and your confidence and, and the way you look at things and the way you talk about things. And actually, if you ever want to hear it, go back and listen to the first time and hear yeah. this time, there's definitely a shift in, in the, your conversation. And, uh, I'm very proud, you know, to, to see where you're at. And I actually, you know, I've got a feeling, mate, you're, you're destined for, for even more success into the future, just given the way you're chatting and given the team that you're surrounding yourself with, with Mel Marshall and Adam Peaty and the, and the squad that you're in. And how can you not with, with that phenomenal group of people, Mel, if you're listening to this, please come back on again. I don't want to sound <laughs> desperate. Please don't make me beg. Um, so yeah, mate, congratulations on all your success. Um, looking forward to, to seeing you continue in the future. No doubt we'll stay in touch and you'll come on for another chat in the future. But congratulations on everything in Tokyo. Uh, good luck in the ISL, mate. And until we chat again next time, thanks for coming on for a chat. Oh, thank you. And no, it's nice to be back. I think it's like, it's, it's nice to hear you say that you've seen a shift in like the way I'm talking and things. I think that's maybe something other people have noticed. Maybe I've not really noticed in myself, but I think it's it's all part of like, growing and improving through swimming so no it's nice to hear well mate as i said it's the coach coming out sometimes there's a podcast <laughs> that comes out of me like i can't help it i'll be at a party and all of a sudden i'm interested in someone's job or what they do in the world their hobbies and just i start podcasting you know what's this what's that about and i think in this moment the coach came back out of me and as i said just watching you and and how proud i was and and just in this chat you can tell there's a shift and i i think um you know you can only reach for those stars if you have that shift in confidence and definitely you've had that for sure so as i said mate congratulations and i look forward to to seeing how you go over in the isl i'm definitely watching we get a bit of it over here so i'm keeping an eye on it and good luck have some fun get a tan obviously that's what people are over in europe for getting a tan so enjoy it (laughs) oh thank you very much for having me no worries today's episode of off the block swimming podcast is proudly brought to you by our good friends at Pro Swim Workouts. Thank you all once again for downloading the show today. Your continued support is always appreciated. And don't forget to check out our other weekly podcast, the OTB Crew Podcast, 
where I'm joined each week by Lani Pallister, Lachlan Carter, and Josh Edward-Smith. We talk a whole lot of swimming. The crew give their own unique insider perspective on what's going on in the world of swimming, as well as special guest Olympians joining the show for some fun. We also talk music, movies, other sports, and generally just have a good laugh. If you're looking for a fresh swimming podcast with a bit of mainstream twist to it, this is definitely the one for you. Join us every Thursday on Spotify and Apple Podcast for all the fun. I just want to be-